Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Josh Gonzalez. As you can see, the title of the sermon is Checkmate. Now, where does that word come from? From chess, the game of chess. And checkmate is really the last move, isn't it? When somebody says checkmate, you're done. Right? There's no coming back from checkmate. Checkmate, that's it. Game over. I want to get deep this morning into how sometimes in our spiritual walk we come to this point where we feel like it's game over. But let's see what the Word of God says about that. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's have a prayer. Father in heaven, oh Lord, we are so grateful. You are so good. You are so good. The Bible tells us that it is your goodness that leads us to repentance. Father, this morning, let us contemplate on that. Let us focus on your goodness. Let us see your goodness clearly. A goodness in which we know, we know we do not deserve. But a goodness that you give and you offer anyways because of your love. Lord, immerse us in that goodness this morning. And speak to our hearts. And Lord, I pray, please give me the words I need to share this message. In your name, amen. I'm going to be focusing today in the book of Exodus, and I want you to go to chapter 14, Exodus chapter 14, and we're going to focus pretty much the whole sermon there. And I want to go to the story of the Exodus, but I want us to maybe see it this morning in a different light. So as you're going to Exodus 14, I'm going to share a verse with you that's found in the book of Deuteronomy 31.6, and this is a very well-known verse. This is a verse that many people hold on to as a dear promise. You know how we have those verses in the Bible, those promises that are special to us? For some people, it's this one. And Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you, nor what's that word? Forsake you. Now this is a promise, and it's a beautiful promise. And... To understand when these words were given, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 31, we're seeing basically the children of Israel about to enter the promised land. Now, for those who aren't familiar maybe with the story, maybe you've seen, you know, the old school movie, uh, Charlton Heston back in the day, Ten Commandments, still a really good film to this day. Um, There are other films like Disney came out with one called The Prince of Egypt quite a while ago as well that it tells this story about Moses growing up in Egypt, realizing at some point in his life that he was a Jew and then being called by God to go back to Egypt to basically be the leader of his people because God wanted to take his people out of bondage, out of slavery. And what happens is when they leave Egypt, they go on this journey, and the journey is really supposed to be a short one, but it ends up being a long one. Does anyone know how many years the journey from Egypt to the promised land was, Ethan? 40 years. He's a big fan of that movie by Charlton Heston, by the way. 
Ten Commandments. How many times have you seen Ten Commandments? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> 40 years, right? And we find out from inspiration that that trip was only supposed to take about 40 days. But it took 40 years because of many reasons, but mainly not just the disobedience, but in particular, it really came down to a problem of faith on the part of God's people. And that's what we're going to look at really this morning is that topic of faith. But as they finally get there and they're about to enter the promised land and Moses finds out he's not going to enter and Moses is actually dying at this point. As Moses is dying, he utters these words to Israel and he tells them to be strong and of good courage, not to fear nor be afraid of them. Who's them? Who's them? Not the Egyptians by this point, but the other enemies because it was always enemies. It was always problems. And this is one of the things that starts to fascinate me because we're going to get deeper into this this morning. But right now, one of the things that I want to share with you just to have in your mind as we go through this message is do we, do, do we understand what this whole story of the Exodus the implication that it has for us as Christians today. You know that the Bible has literal and both symbolic meanings of things, right? Egypt in the Bible has a literal meaning, which this story actually happened, but it has a symbolic meaning for us as well. Does anyone know what Egypt represents to us as Christians today? It represents basically what it represented then, which was bondage and slavery, but we're not, you know, in bondage and slavery physically in some foreign land. The bondage and slavery that we experience today is because of sin. And so what Egypt represents is bondage and slavery to sin. And so the Exodus story, which is God delivering his people, is now reminiscent for us of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Because of Christ... We are made free from the bondage and slavery of sin as well. So I want you to keep that in your mind as we are going through this story today. Because when we look at the Exodus, sometimes we don't look at these stories with that in mind. We just look at it with regards to what's actually happening. And so let's look at the literal and the symbolic um, lessons for us in that story today. All right. So here we have that verse. And in that verse, we see that Moses was telling the children of God, he was basically saying something to them. Yes, he's telling them not to fear, not to be afraid. But what he really is doing is he's reminding them of something. What he's reminding them of is that God is with them. He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Now, let's, let's answer this question honestly. Did Israel deserve God to be with them? Did Israel deserve God to not leave nor forsake them? They didn't. Just like we don't deserve what Jesus has done for us and the promises that we have today as seeds of, of Abraham, we are what's called spiritual Israel today. And so all the promises that were given to literal Israel back then apply to us today as a spiritual Israel. Because Paul said, those who are in Christ are also seeds of Abraham. But just like they didn't deserve it, we don't deserve it either. Does that stop God? 
Has God ever been stopped by the fact that you don't deserve His love, His mercy, His grace? And so, besides the reality of the sinfulness of Israel, etc., right? Moses is reminding them God is with you. God is with you. Again, what's the sermon title this morning? Checkmate. Okay, let's go to Exodus 14. It's a story some of you may be familiar with, but it's such a powerful story. And again, remember two things. One, remember the title, checkmate, and what the word checkmate implies. And two, remember that we want to try to see this story today, not so much in its literal sense, but in its symbolic sense, where Egypt represents what? It represents bondage and slavery to sin. Okay, let's go to Exodus 14. Starting at the start, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdol and the sea, opposite Baal-Zephon, you shall camp before it by the sea. So what's happening in Exodus 14? In Exodus, Moses has already gone to Egypt, right? Moses has asked very nicely, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh turned around and said, no, nah, not happening. Moses said, all right, I'll come back. Moses comes back and he says, hey, God is the one who's sending me and he's telling you, let his people go. And the Pharaoh starts to get a little bit like, you know, because Pharaoh, they believed that they were God. They were the sovereign power. And so in that story, as we've probably read it, we understand that Pharaoh keeps saying no to the point then God has to start saying do it or else this is going to happen. And Pharaoh still said no. And then a bunch of plagues happened. Finally, the worst one happened where Pharaoh's son ended up dying. And as a result, Pharaoh said, all right, you can go. And now Israel finds himself in the wilderness after having fled Egypt. So this whole thing of Egypt is still fresh in their minds. They've literally just left. And they find themselves in this location. Verse 3 says this. For Pharaoh will say, right? So remember, we just read that God spoke to Moses and God told Moses, go and tell the people to camp in this place. And as God's speaking to Moses, he says this to him. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. This verse 4 has troubled me a little bit. I wanted to understand what this meant. The fact that God said that he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Does that imply that Pharaoh had nothing to do with what's going down and what he's involved in and what he's doing? Does that mean that God somehow is the one that made this happen? And so ultimately then Pharaoh is kind of like an innocent guy because it wasn't his fault. God made him do it. Is that what's happening here? It's not because what we find out, and I went to the spirit of prophecy as well to get a good understanding of this, is what happens is that Pharaoh's heart, even though the Bible says, and God was saying, I harden Pharaoh's heart, God did harden Pharaoh's heart, but he didn't do it in the sense where he just kind of pointed at Pharaoh and then all of a sudden Pharaoh became hardened. It was all of the choices that Pharaoh had made. And there were choices based on what God had done and said, right? 
But then Pharaoh decided to continuously, continuously, continuously say no to God. And ultimately his heart got hardened. And the spirit of prophecy says that the same thing happens to us when the Holy Spirit prompts us and we say no. When the Holy Spirit is trying to convict us and we say no, the more that we do it, the more that we do it, our heart gets hardened. Have you ever had a situation where God clearly spoke to you about a certain habit that you had? Maybe he didn't want you to do something anymore and you were convicted by it, but then at some point you went and did it and then you did it again and then you did it again and then you somehow get to a point where now you're making excuses for it and now all of a sudden that's what happens to us and we've maybe had those experiences before and then God has to kind of wake us up out of that, right? But our hearts can get hardened that way. Anyways, God's, God says that Pharaoh is starting to think about things and he's warning Moses and he's telling him that Pharaoh is thinking about where Israel is and because his heart has been hardened, he's going to make a decision to pursue them and then God says, but I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army and he says that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Next verse, verse 5. So we, we understand what's happening here so far, yeah? All right, verse 5. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. So now God is saying to Moses that people are getting into Pharaoh's ear. Some of the people from Egypt are getting into Pharaoh's ear and they're saying, hey, what have we done? Why have we let these people go? You know, they liked the fact that they had slaves. People that did everything for them, built the things they needed to get built. People that they could basically blame things that went wrong on. It was convenient for them. And it showed, at least for them, they felt like they had power having these slaves that they were in control of. And now all of a sudden they're gone and some of the people in Egypt are coming to Pharaoh and they're saying, what have we done? Why have we let these people go? But as the heart of Pharaoh was getting hardened, he turned and he said, let's go get them. Let's go get these people. We want to bring them back so they can serve us again. So now Pharaoh is making a plan to go and get these people back. Verse 7. We all good so far with the story? Amen. Verse 7. Also, he took 600 choice chariots. Is that a New Zealand word there, Viti? Choice chariots? He took 600 choice chariots and all of the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. This is three times that he's speaking about Pharaoh's heart now, right? And he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. Let's keep going. Verse 9. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea besides Pi-Hiharoth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. The Egyptians marched after them. Now, there's a couple of words that I want you to just look at in these verses that we've read. The first one is in verse 9, the Egyptians pursued them, right? The Egyptians pursued them. 
And then it says that as the children of Israel lifted their eyes and saw, they saw that the Egyptians were now coming after them. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation in your life when some, where someone is after you. It is not a nice feeling, especially when you're outnumbered. I've been in that situation where people were trying to kill me. All right? It is not a nice feeling. The Egyptians are there, uh, uh, sorry, the Israelites are there, and so far things have been going pretty well. They've been freed. They've seen miracles happen. God has been taking care of them. There's been the pillar of cloud during the day to prevent the sun from burning them, the pillar of fire by night that gave them light and was keeping them warm. They were fed manna, right, in the wilderness. They had food to eat. Things were going all right. And then all of a sudden, they look up and they see the Egyptian army in full force coming after them. I don't know if you can comprehend just how terrifying this must have been for them. What happens to us in moments of life when these things happen, right? When life gets scary. When things happen that are out of our control where we continuously make bad decisions, where we find ourselves in a situation that looks like there's no hope. In other words, as we could probably say, a situation where we feel like checkmate has been done to us. You know, what do we do in those moments? We either do one of two things. One, we forget God. We forget what He's done. We forget how he's come through for us and we panic and we get anxiety and we stress. And sometimes in that panic, anxiety and stress, we end up making bad decisions. Or we do the opposite where the moment that things get real, we remember God. We remember what he's done. We come to him and we are comforted in his safety in his presence. Amen. But why is it that as Christians, we usually take the first route? That's what Israel's doing here. Because we're going to see that Israel starts to panic. But again, remember, yes, this story kind of gives us that lesson, right? That when life comes at us, when the things of life pursue us and so forth. But I told you at the start of the sermon that I wanted us to look at this sermon today and this story of the Exodus, not so much in its literal context, but in its symbolic context. Because remember, Egypt represented what? It re represented our life before Jesus. It represented bondage and slavery to sin. And now in the story, the Israelites feel and see Egypt is coming back for them. Egypt is coming back for them. Egypt is pursuing them. Egypt is marching against them. And how many times in our spiritual journey we feel the same way? Jesus has given us freedom. Jesus has broken the chains. Jesus has delivered us from sin. But sin keeps pursuing us. Sin keeps marching against us. And how many times do we look up? Like the Israelites, and all we can see is the sin coming back, and we just feel, and we, we shut down. And it's terrifying, because we don't want sin around anymore. We don't want to live that life anymore. 
But it keeps coming back. For Israel that day, what they saw was an undefeatable army coming at them. And sometimes that's how sin feels to us, doesn't it? Like an undefeatable foe. It's like we just can't defeat this thing. Look what it says about Israel. It says, so they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Moses, it wasn't Moses' plan to deliver these guys from Egypt, was it? It wasn't Moses' idea. Whose plan, whose idea was it? It was God's. But now these people, because they're scared, because they're terrified, they're not thinking rationally. They turn on the one who God used to lead them out of bondage and slavery in the first place. And they say, why have you taken us out? But it's not so, so much the fact that they're complaining. It's what's causing them to complain that is the issue. And the Bible tells us what that is. What were those first words there? So they were very what? Afraid. It was fear. You know, sometimes it's said that fear is the opposite of faith. The Bible says that we should not live by fear. And it tells us the thing that casts out all fear. What is that? It's love. But the love that the Bible is speaking about is the love of God. And the love of God is based in faith. So they were afraid. And they were terrified. And they were saying, why did you take us out of Egypt in the first place? They're starting to say, man, we were better off in Egypt. Have you ever felt that way in your spiritual life? Where you just cannot overcome sin? Where you just keep getting hit with the reality of your sinful nature, of your weaknesses, of your struggles? And thoughts start to creep into your mind, man, this thing is too hard. It was better when I was out in the world. And sometimes, somehow, we come to that place, and I know this for a fact because I've been there. And I minister to many people that say the same thing to me. Somehow, we get to a point where we think it was easier in Egypt. As I was sharing with you guys last night what I was watching, I was watching testimonies of these gang, gang members, right, in Los Angeles. One of the testimonies I was listening to was of a man who was the founding member of the Mexican Mafia in the prisons in California. Notorious group. If you know anything about what goes on there, you know that this group is... He was one of the founding members and he was a shot caller in that group, which meant he was one of the leaders. This man killed many people. He was drug addict since 14, gangs, prison, all his life, all of that stuff. He said something that just was amazing coming from who it came from. Because this man became a Christian, gave his heart to Jesus and started an amazing ministry and he went back to the prisons and he was preaching to the guys, you know, you don't have to live this way, give your heart to Jesus, amazing story. But there's something that this man said that was profound, coming from him, shot caller from the Mexican mafia. You know what he said? He said, I've been in jail, gangs, prison, all of this all my life. He said, but there's nothing harder that I've ever done in my life than being a Christian. He says, it takes someone with real courage to be a Christian. He said, that other stuff is easy. 
He says it's easy to act a fool. It's easy to be out on the streets doing stupid things. It's easy to do that. He says, but being a Christian is the hardest thing I've done in my life. And sometimes we're overwhelmed with the difficulty that it is to try to live a good, righteous life and to be faithful to God. And the devil puts this thought in our mind sometimes, just like he did to Israel. Egypt was, was easier. Egypt was better for us. And they go on and they say, Is this not the word we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Look at what they're saying. There's something profound that's happening here. I've shared this statement before and I'll share it many times again. You're going to see that I'm going to repeat a lot of things. I don't know how long I'm going to be the pastor here, right? I hope it's a long time. And I'm going to say things repeatedly. And it's important though because you'll notice that in the Bible, we get the example that when the Bible wants to really bring home a point, do you know how it does that? It repeats. It needs to get stuck in here. There's something that's happening to the Egyptians, sorry, to the Israelites when they see the Egyptians that happens to us as well. When we see Egypt coming back for us, they are now at this moment because right now they find themselves in a moment of darkness. They are doubting in the darkness what God has revealed to them in the light. Don't doubt in the darkness what God has revealed to you in the light. And so they're scared and they, 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 they're just they're talking crazy. Go back to Egypt. God's promise for them wasn't just for them to go to the wilderness to die. God promised that he was going to take them somewhere. Where was God taking them? To the promised land. Now, was the promised land a literal place back then? Absolutely. It's a place called Canaan. But you see, God is delivering us out of Egypt too, now, today, and he wants to take us to a promised land. However, the promised land that God is promising for us is not an earthly place. It's a heavenly place. God wants to take us to the heavenly Canaan. But you see, to get there, we need to go through the wilderness, and in the wilderness, things are going to happen. But we can't doubt in the darkness what God is revealing to us in the light. The Bible goes on to say, and Moses said to the people, look at the first things Moses says to them. The first thing he says to them is what? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians, look what he says, very, this guy's very confident right now. Look what he says, he says, for the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. I love this next verse. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. You see, Egypt was an undefeatable enemy for Israel. Israel had no way in defeating Egypt. But Israel forgot that they served the God who was greater than Egypt. Just like we forget that we serve a God who is greater than sin. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? When sin comes for us, when it pursues us, when it marches against us, don't be scared. Remember that God will fight for you. The problem we have is that we fight ourselves. We come up with these thoughts that we need to fight sin and we need to be perfect and all this. No, God's not calling us to be perfect in our strength. He's calling us to be perfect in His strength. He is the perfect one. Follow Him. Let Him fight for you. Surrender to Him. You see, when I look at sin and the way sin pursues me, because it does, it doesn't leave me alone. You know how many times I look up like Israel, I'm like, oh man, here we go again. <laughs> but if in that moment, I, I let myself think that this battle with sin is my battle, I'm going to be so overcome with fear like Israel that I'm going to start thinking crazy too. We have to remember in that moment, God is the one who fights for us. When it comes to our spiritual battle with sin, God is the one. And he says, God will fight for you. In other words, think about that. Just like Moses said to Israel that day, that army that you see will be no more. That sin that's in your life that doesn't leave you alone. If you have faith and trust in God, God wants you to know today, if you trust him, if you surrender to him, that sin will also be no more. Amen. He will fight for you though. Not you. The next verse is really interesting. In verse 15, the Bible says, And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell them to go forward. Now this implies that Moses had a moment of faithful confidence and maybe a little bit of doubt right after. And what does God do? He reminds him. He says to him, tell them to go forward. And then he says, lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Now, this is pretty profound because where Israel found themselves at that moment was a place where any of us in that situation would have been thinking one thing and one thing only. Checkmate. I've got nowhere to go. I have no moves left. Behind me is a crazy, psychopathic leader with an army that is at his command coming for us. And in front of us, there is a sea of which the depthness, the depthness, depthness of it, that's a hard word to say, depthness of it is so profound that if we go in there, we're going to drown. Have you ever heard of that saying, damned if I do, damned if I don't? It's like, what do I do? It's checkmate, right? Or is it? We see Moses here. Must have said something to God. And Moses probably turned around and said, all right, God, I trust you. I know you're going to come through, but please, you've got to do something now because these people are going crazy. God's like, all right, go and do this. Lift up your rod. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. 
And so God tells Moses to do this. He doesn't do it just yet, but he tells him that this is what he needs to do. In verse 17, the Bible says, And I indeed, God continuing, says, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. And look what it says next. Verse 18, Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. And it says in verse 20, So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Do you guys know what's happening here? Who's the angel of the Lord? (laughs) That's a sermon for another time. But the Bible says, and and, and this this one for me is is, is crazy. Look at verse 18 again. God's speaking to Moses and he says, all right, you're going to go out. You're going to lift the rod. You're going to stretch your hand. And he tells him the sea is going to be divided. You're going to walk through it. That sea that's in front of you right now, Moses, that impossible situation, I'm going to make that possible for you. I'm going to open the sea. Now, that in and of itself is a crazy thing, right? You know that there are people that look at us Christians as nut jobs? Do you really believe? They said, do you really believe what the Bible says? Do you really believe that flood story? Do you really believe that the, the, the sea was parted? Do you really believe the virgin birth? Do you really believe? You really, right? Yeah. <laughs> we believe. The reason why we believe is not because we're stupid. It's because we've seen God work and move in our lives. We've seen him do the impossible for us. We haven't seen a literal Red Sea, but how many Red Seas has God opened up for us in our walk? How many times has God done the impossible? He's come through when all hope was lost, when we didn't know how to get through something. He provided a way. And he's doing the same thing here. So he tells this to Moses and Moses doesn't flinch. Moses would have been like, oh man, I knew you had something you were going to, you know, but what a thing, right? The sea is going to open up, but not yet. That's going to happen tomorrow. But God says, in the meantime, this is what I'm going to do for you. The angel of the Lord appears and creates a barrier between Egypt and Israel. And he does it in a way in which For Israel, it provides heat and light, what they need, right? For the others, it's complete darkness. No light for you. But while the angel of the Lord was encamped between the two camps, Egypt could not touch Israel. And that's something that I need you to also keep in the back of your mind here. Egypt couldn't touch Israel. No matter how bad they wanted to, no matter how angry they were, No matter how much force they came with, they couldn't touch Israel because Israel was under the protection of the Almighty. You are also under the protection of the Almighty. Why do we forget? We forget so quick. You see this verse 18, it says, when God's speaking to Moses and God says to Moses, then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. I don't think that was the real intention of God. Yes, 
God wanted the Egyptians to know. But I think more than anything, it was important for Israel to know that he is God. That no matter who comes at them, he is God. All right, we're going to wrap up in a second. When we see this encampment, this, this protection that God gives Israel, you know, sometimes we're so quick to miss the things God's doing in our lives. We're so focused on the enemy that's approaching. We're so focused on the enemy that's pursuing us. We don't stop to see the way God is blocking and, and putting up protections and making things happen. He hadn't delivered them yet from the enemy, but he's protecting them from the enemy. The Bible says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. You see, this whole thing that went down, it didn't happen straight away like when you see in the movie, right? In the movie, it's like an instant thing. The Bible says this took all night long. There's a lot of water in that sea. One of the things I really don't like is I see a lot of references in the world about how it was Moses that parted the sea. Right? Have you ever seen that? It was Moses that parted the sea. It wasn't Moses. Moses had no power to part the sea. But Moses had something that was the most powerful thing. You know, like, we live in a world today where Hollywood is bringing out all of these movies about superheroes and superpowers and all of this nonsense. You know what's the greatest superpower that's ever existed? It's called faith. The Bible says it's so powerful, it's able to move mountains. Faith. Moses had the superpower. He had faith. So the water starts to part. Verse 22. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and to their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen, everyone after Israel. This guy is determined, yeah? He's determined. He thinks he's going to get them. The Bible says, now it came to pass. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. You see, what's powerful here, just to keep in mind, is that even if you are... Even when God parts that sea and you start walking, you can still turn around and see Egypt coming after you. But you need to be reminded that even if Egypt is right on your tail, God is still in control of the situation. God is still working. He troubled. This is incredible. Look what happens here. It came to pass in the morning watch, the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians to the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And the Bible says, and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. I can't imagine someone trying to drive a chariot with no wheels. Right? 
what I see happening here, and sometimes we miss this. We miss this. This is God acting in mercy towards the Egyptians. I don't know if you can see this. He's acting in mercy. He's making things happen to get them to reason. If by this point, like how crazy, right? He's so just fixated on getting these people that he's not even stopping to like, has this guy ever seen a sea part? The sea has parted and God's people are walking through it. Surely that would have been enough to say, man, I'm not going in there. Right? Like how dumb would you be to be like, hey, let's go after them. Look what's happening right in front of our eyes. But this guy's like, nah, let's go. And then God's like, all right. So he does something else. He starts to mess with their chariots, starts breaking apart their wheels and so forth. And these stubborn people continue on. God was giving them a chance to back off. You see that? And it's crazy because I've really analyzed the gospel stories, especially the ones with the Pharisees, right? And the Pharisees are the bad guys. They're always portrayed as the bad guys. But if you look closely, and we're going to go through some of those stories over time, you can see Jesus also extending his mercy to them. You know, like when the woman was caught in an act of adultery, and he was, he was dialoguing with them. He said, he who is without sin, pick up the... He was giving them an opportunity to go away. But their stubbornness. And so God was for... They forced his hand. Here the same thing happens. The Egyptians, they forced his hand. Verse 26. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back on the Egyptians, on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all of the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. God is able to defeat every single last of our enemies. Like God is able. God is able to help us against our Egypt, against the things that beseech us or beset us, sorry, as the Apostle Paul says, the sins that so easily ensnare us. God is able we need to have faith. We need to keep walking. We need to keep trusting. God did something amazing for them that day. Impossible thing God made possible. When it seemed like it was checkmate, we find out it wasn't. Not one Egyptian remained. And he goes on to say, but the children of Israel had walked on dry land. On dry land. See, Listen to that. The children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their feet, on their left, sorry, on their right hand and on the left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Now, 
Let me share an interesting fact with you that's actually quite profound. The Bible says that Israel walked on dry land, right? Do you know how deep the Red Sea is? There are parts of the Red Sea that they say are between three to 5,000 feet plus depth. That's over 1,000. That's more than a kilo. That's kilometers. That's very deep. Very deep. But some interesting information you can find if you do a little bit of digging. As you can see that on your screen. This is what the majority, now not everybody, because you know, when it comes to all of these biblical things, there's always people that have different opinions and so forth, but the majority of scholars agree that this is the route that was taken that day or that week or however long this thing took by the Israelites from Egypt through down where they ended up at Mount Sinai, right? Now that area there, that you can see on your screen where the yellow line crosses the water, that's a place called the Gulf of Alcaba. And most scholars agree that this is the place, according to everything in the Bible and, 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 and just looking at the place and studying the area and so forth, this is the place where the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. And so some people started doing a little bit of investigation and digging. And one of the things that they came up with in their investigations was that they found that right at that exact location, there seems to be something incredible. They found underneath the water a land bridge that goes from one side to the other. And what they found was where this land bridge was, the depth of it was only about up to... Not yet reaching, but up to, at some points, about just 100 meters of depth over the land bridge area. But right on either side, the depthness is so profound that it goes down thousands of meters. You see, what's incredible about this is that Israel found themselves that day right at the start of the land bridge and had no idea where they were. Because they couldn't see what was under the water. But God had led them to that place. And while they were there, they saw the enemy approaching and they were scared. And they started to doubt. But you see, God had already led them to where he needed to lead them to be able to do this miracle so they could cross the river, sorry, the sea, right at the exact location that they needed to cross. You see, sometimes we come to places in our life and we don't know why we got there. We don't know how we got there. But maybe God led us there. You know, sometimes we think that when bad things happen in our life, it's always the devil. It's not always the devil. Sometimes God lets bad things happen in your life, but he lets them happen because the outcome of it all is going to be much greater than you could have ever imagined. He has a plan already. He took them to this place where it's literally the only place in the Red Sea where you can cross. Because every part that surrounds it, it's impossible. It's too deep. Here's another image that I found where you can't really see it there, but it's just telling you because it has little, uh, little figures, little numbers along the blue part that you can see. And those numbers are indicating the depth. And right where that land bridge happens to be, the depth is approximately 80, 90 or so meters, but all around it, you start getting into the thousands of meters. 
God was looking after Israel all along. You see, one of the things that I've learned in my spiritual walk is that sometimes God has allowed me to struggle with sin because it was through that struggle that I was able to see the fullness of His grace and of His mercy and of His love. I share with people that come to me all the... I, you know, I have no idea. I've, I've shared with you guys, but the, the most common thing that people come to me as a pastor to talk to me about is about their discouragement in their Christian walk because of their struggles. And one of the things I share with people often, and I say to them, I said, the only reason why I'm still here right now is because it was in my darkest moments that I saw God's light shine the brightest. Wherever you find yourself right now, don't be discouraged. God still has a plan. Let me, let me finish off with this. Last verse is here. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Now, what does this have to do with checkmate? How do we, you know, kind of connect that? There's a reason why I called the sermon Checkmate and I shared this story. Has anyone ever seen this picture? This is a picture of a famous painting. It's not there today, but it used to once hang in the Louvre Museum in Paris, France. And it's a very famous painting and the name of the painting is, guess what? Checkmate. Now, if you know anything about the game of chess, you know it all comes down to when the king on either side can move no more. Once the king is trapped, the winning side declares, checkmate, and game is over. So this is a painting that was painted by Frederick Moritz August Retz. It's one of those weird European names. R-E-T-Z-S-C-H. Anyone know how to do it? No. Today, the painting is popularly known as Checkmate. It is now in private hands. It used to be in the museum, but somehow a private collector got his hands on it, and now it's in private hands. It was sold at an auction in 1999. This painting was famous because it depicts two players. Now, the guy that's on the left, the sinister-looking guy with the hat, that's supposed to be Satan. And the painter said that that's who that was. And the painter, when he painted this and told people what this painting was about, he said that this is a scene that a lot of us come across. It's a scene where Satan is against us and Satan has taken us to a point of checkmate. And that's what the painter said. And everybody just assumed that's what it was. And so, yeah, you know, you people look at it and they're like, oh, man, how many times have I been like, in this position, right? And so that's what everyone got from this. They would look at the painting and they would be like, yeah, yeah I can relate to that, right? Well, the story goes that one day, and this was, you know, decades ago now, I think it was in the 80s when this happened, there was a group of world champions from different uh, sports and so forth that were taken to the museum for a private tour. 
and they were going through and they were looking at all the different things in the museum and then they came across this painting. One of the guys that was in that group in particular kept staring at it. And, you know, they got to the painting and the tour guide described what I just described. It was painted by this guy. It represents, you know, Satan and he's got the other guy and it's checkmate. And, and kind of they looked at it and the group moved on. But this one guy in particular, he stayed back and he kept looking at the painting. And the tour was moving on. But at one point, the tour guide, he notices that this guy is staying back and he's curious as to why he's staying back looking at this painting. So the tour guide goes to the, the man and he says, what are you looking at? And the man says to the tour guide, there's something wrong with this painting. And the, man, the tour guide says to the man, what, what are you talking about? The man turns and says to the tour guide, I am the world chess champion. And as I look at this painting, I can see that there's something wrong. The painting is called Checkmate. And we are led to believe that Satan has checkmated this person. But as I am looking at the board and I'm studying everything, there's something incredible that I found that I have to sorry tell you, and he's telling this to the tour guide, you guys have to change the name. This can no longer be called Checkmate. The tour guide says, why do you say that? You know what the World Chess Champion player said to him? He said, because as I look at the board, I can see that the king still has one more move. The king still has one more move. It's not checkmate. The king still has one more move. Do you know what this represents to us spiritually? That when we get to that point, just like the Israelites that day, they saw the sea in front of them, impossible. They saw the army, the army behind them, impossible. But they forgot that they served a king, a God, a king who still had another move to play. And no matter what you're going through in your life, whether it's in the physical things of life, whether it is in the problems of life, but more importantly this morning, I want you to focus on your spiritual life. No matter what you're going through, you need to understand that you serve a king who still has another move. Even if you feel like it's checkmate, when God plays for you, you see, and this is the thing, when we're the ones playing, we lose. We can't beat Satan. He's too good of a chess player for us. But when we step out of the seat and God steps in, he defeats the enemy. Have you ever played chess before and not been very good? I, I have. I'm not very good at chess. But I've played chess before and there have been times where I've been so cocky where I thought I've won. And I make a move and I say, checkmate. And I'm calm. I'm like, I won. You know, I'm happy. And, and then that other person turns around and just... Psh, psh. I'm like, oh. I thought it was checkmate. It wasn't. There was still another move left. Whatever's going on in life, whatever we go through, we cannot forget who we serve. We cannot forget who is with us. We cannot forget who is the one leading us and who is the one that promised us. Remember, he promised to get us to the promised land. And that's why in Philippians 1.6, we're reminded that he who has begun the good work in us, he will complete it. 
He will finish the work. We can't. Stop trying to finish the work. Stop trying to do that. Start following Jesus. Start surrendering your heart to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. Let him take over and let him get you to the promised land. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, Lord, what can we say to you, God? What can we say to you? You are so good, Lord. Lord, forgive us. We are so quick to forget who you are. We're so quick to forget what you can do. We're so quick to forget that you are with us. Lord, we struggle sometimes with the fact that you're with us because we just we know how sinful we are. We're so unfaithful to you, Lord. And so sometimes maybe that's what causes us to, to feel like you've abandoned us. But your word continues to remind us that you are with us. That's why Moses told Israel those words. He wanted to remind them that the Lord your God, he is with you. And Lord, this morning we thank you for reminding us again. Lord, you know the things that we struggle with. You know the armies, the Egyptian armies that we battle with every day, Lord. Father, Lord, let us come to you. Let us have faith in you. Give us that faith of Moses that was able to turn around that day and say, that Egyptian army that's coming at us today, tomorrow there will be no more because of God. Lord, we need you and we just thank you. We ask for all of this in your name. Amen. This message was made available by the Ride Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their YouTube page, 3AM Ride Seventh-day Adventist Church. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.